Motherfuckers, it's your host with the most, being Katie. You're tuning in to Jam Planet Podcast. With me, I have my host with the most, also Westside Jordan. Say what's up. What's up? All right, so this is my season for Jam Planet Podcast, season two, episode three. And today we're going to be doing top 10 hip hop songs in 1980s. So without further ado, would you want to give us your top 10? Uh, my number, number 10, I should say, Westside Jordan. Yeah, I'll give. I'll start off with my number ten. So for my number ten, it's uh, "Gangsta Gangsta" by N.W.A. This song runs for five minutes and thirty six seconds, um, and it features the the classic N.W.A. sound and subject matter of the streets of South Central Compton. Uh, three verses are done by Ice Cube, and one verse is done by Easy E. It's written, this song is written by Ice Cube, MC Ren, and the DOC. Uh, and it was released as a single with the song Something to Dance to. And it contains samples from God Make Me Funky by The Headhunter, uh, by Headhunter, uh, Week at the Knees by Steve Arrington, and My Philosophy by Boogie Down Productions, and finally Be Thankful for What You Got by William Devon. Um, what I really like about this song is the storytelling of Ice Cube and how he talks about his, like, because, like, Ice Cube is kind of like, uh, like the rapper's alter ego from, like, who he really is, um, you know, his real name, O'Shea Jackson. Uh, I guess if I had to say, like, one complaint about it is that Easy E's verse is kind of random. Um, I could, I would have been fine with just Ice Cube's verse, uh, but overall, a really good song, and um, this is one of those classic NWA songs straight off of the uh, Straight Out of Compton album. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that too, because I, I think this is actually, I'm, I might be in the minority, but this is by far my favorite NWA song of all time. And also, it's my favorite uh, song on the Straight Out of Compton album. I like this a lot more than uh, Straight Out of Compton and Fuck the Police, in my opinion. I mean, I, I still think that's a strong opinion. Uh, I think I still think that's a good opinion. Uh, Gangsta yeah. Gangsta is obviously a really good song, so I can understand why that would be like someone's favorite song off the whole album. Um, yeah. It's definitely got a, uh, it's definitely definitely a stronger song on the whole album. Yeah, it's been getting a lot of love recently. To be honest, it has. I like, say, like where? I think it was on. Um, I just hear. <clears throat> excuse me but i just hear my friends played a lot and i also i think it was also on uh gta 5 soundtrack for the west uh, west coast um forget the west the west coast station on there so it's just been getting a lot of love and also on youtube it has like six million views and all that so i think it's getting a lot of love because i think I think NWA, this might be a controversial opinion, but I think NWA, if you're like a normie, a person who only listens to like the popular songs, you're only going to know them from Fuck the Police and Straight Out of Compton. You're not going to really know about their other deep album cuts like, um, like, uh, like Gangsta Gangsta and all that. Yeah, I think I this agree. is an underrated song, but it is getting a lot more love nowadays. Mm -hmm, that, yeah, I would definitely say that. Uh, NWA has a lot of songs that are 
uh, like underrated. Yeah. Um, like like this one, for example. Um, I would also say Eight Ball is kind of underrated. Like I don't see, I don't hear enough people oh, talking yes. about that song. That's um, like a remix to Boys in the Hood, right? Uh, relatively, yeah. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's definitely like it's like Boys in the Hood in the sense that it only has Easy E rapping like the whole song. Um, but yeah, that's also I feel like there's definitely a lot of hidden gems in NWA's. Discography. Uh, like yeah, disco- yeah, like their discography and just the the songs that they've released. I think there's a lot that just get overlooked by some of the more popular ones. And don't get me wrong, as you'll find out later, I do love the popular ones, but yeah. I also have to acknowledge the fact that there are other songs other than those songs that people need to listen to. Yeah, I I think uh, I hate to be like a purist, but I think if you're you're a true fan, if you can name other songs other than the the radio hits, you know. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Like I'm an NWA fan, but I'm no. His no, I I should say I like NWA, but they're not my they're not my favorite. They're not my top ten. I I appreciate them, but I know they have better hits than the the radio hits that they have. You know, like the two hits that they have in the belt, which is uh, "Fuck the Police" and "Straight Outta Compton." So I just like how you bring acknowledgement to Gangsta Gangsta because that is by far my favorite NWA song. They also do appreciate Easy E's verse, but once, it, like you said, I could have done without it. You know, it's mostly yeah, it's a little... Ice Cube song flexing his lyrical muscles and his storytelling ability. It's a funny yeah, song, I'm... classic, classic gangster rap song. I definitely have to agree on that for sure. Yeah. So what's your what's your number ten? I'm still a little sick, so I'm coughing my bad. So my number 10 is Ego Tripping by Ultramatic MCs. Yeah, Ultramagnetic MCs. I know it's an underrated song, but it has Cool Keith in it. So that's that's Cool Keith's original group and how it got started. The song came out, I want to say 1985, 1986. It's definitely ahead of its time because it pioneered the use of like the funky breakbeats and also the James Brown samples, like the James Brown kind of soul funk samples and it definitely like I said it innovated rap and the lyricism was just ahead of its time it's very intelligent it's very surreal and abstract and they were rapping differently compared to other rappers at the time like Run DMC, LL and all the other 1980s rappers and this song is basically just calling out rappers who rap simplistically with the ABC nursery rhyme type of rappers. So like Run DMC, they also throw a little jab at Run DMC. They say, say what, Peter Piper, to hell with the childish rhyme. So that was a, a shot at Run DMC because they made a song with Peter Piper. And some of my other favorite lyrics is um, they, they use the same, they use the simple back and forth, the same old rhythm that a baby can pick up and join right with them. But their rhymes are pathetic. They think they co-poetic. Using nursery terms, at least not poetic, on a on an educated base, intelligent-wise, as a record just term, you learn, plus burn by the flame of the lyrics, which cooks the human brain, providing overheating knowledge by means, causing pain, like a migraine headache. Your cells start to melt while the t- techniques Spin the wax is on the felt, motivating clockwise. The more you realize, more loves, 
moving steady by most with ever ready like a battery charge I'm worth the alkaline. So I just thought those were dope ass lines. And that was from um, both said G and uh, Cool Key. So my number 10 is Ego Tripping by Ultra Magnetic MCs. Well, what year was this song released? <clears throat> so the album, their first album, which is Critical Beatdown, was released in 1988. But this song was released in 1985. The problem, like, Critical Beatdown is it, it took a long time to come out because they had songs from, like, 85, and they just released it in 88. So usually, you know how albums take, like, a year or two to make? It took them a lot longer to get on there. Mm, okay. Yeah. And it still sounds fresh today. I mean, it might sound dated, but the, the lyricism is just, like, on par, though. Definitely ahead of its time. If you like that type of lyricism that I brought to the table, I mean, that I gave as an example for the song. So what is your number 10? I mean, number nine, my bad. So my number nine is, uh, it's funny that you bring up Run DMC. My number nine is Is Tricky by Run DMC. Uh, <laughs> the, song, the song content matters mostly about how rap can be, is more uh, complex than people think it is. Um, and the song mostly consists of Run and DMC kind of trading bars throughout a whole verse. Like, neither one of them really has, like, a whole verse to themselves. It's kind of just them kind of switching off line for line sometimes. Um, and the song is primarily written by written by Run and DMC and Doug Figure and Burton Avere. Um Which I think those last two guys are mostly more so have to do with like the guitar sound of the song, I believe. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's something that they were probably more into. Um, I like, and for me, I like the like the guitar riffs that they have in this song. Um, Normally, it's not my favorite thing to combine like hip hop and guitar riffs, but I feel like this is a good example of uh, like a song that's produced well with all of those components. And I feel, and I like how like they each kind of like trade bars in a verse. It kind of makes it, it kind of shows like their camaraderie as a group together, um, which is sometimes you don't really see that. A lot of times when you see a group, like they kind of hemorrhage a little bit in a in a song together. Um, but the I feel like this is a good example of how Run and DMC really worked well together as a duo. So yeah, my number nine is It's Tricky by Run DMC. Yeah, the, I hear this song a lot. And I hear this song played at like Homecoming and all that, the school dances. I just think it's a very timeless song because it's very classic. People might say it's overrated. I mean, yeah, they have better songs than this, but this, this is by far a memorable song. It's easy to follow along to. I just love the chemistry, how they can just go back and forth on the mic. That's what I appreciate is when, like, rappers have that chemistry. They can just bounce off each other, just have, like, share verses together. And I just love, it's just very, the lyricism is very memorable. Just when you hear that beat, and just, like, it's, like I said, it's easy to follow along. It's not, like, really complex rhymes. Like, Run DMC isn't really known for their complex rhymes. But I just appreciate their, like, kind of, just their playfulness and fun funness that they bring the rap it's not always like serious or dark it's just very like it's just very it makes you feel good it's just feel good music and that's what i appreciate about the song and run dmc in general yeah to, that's also kind of like a theme of like the 80s a little bit compared to other eras is that like lyricism is not at its strongest in the 80s yeah. overall 
Um, we do have some very good lyricists, very good lyricists in the '80s, but yeah. people really start to. Yeah, you start like that's what like I feel like the eighties and nineties is when you start seeing people more, uh, like, focus on it and hone their craft, um, and writing just really good lyrics. Yeah, I mean people people would give them kind of a lot of shit because they they call them like nursery rhymes, ABC rhymes, and they think they're kind of dated. I mean, to some degree, they are, but. I think they're classic because you you still hear it being played today, you know. They're definitely not my top ten group, but I really appreciate what they brought to the table. Just that um combination of rock and rap. They just kind of brought that genre to like a wider audience. And that's what I kind of just appreciate about Run DMC. They might not be the best lyricists, but you don't listen to them for the lyricism. You just listen to them for just their vibes and just their playfulness, you know, witty lines here and there. I do appreciate Run DMC and Tricky. All right, so what's your number? What's your number nine? <laughs> All right, so my number nine is "You Got to Chill" by EPMD. You probably heard this song before, but I just love this laid-back funk lace track, and I love the samples that they use. They use "More Bouncy to Ounce" by Zap and "Jungle Boogie" by Cool and the Gang. Every everybody knows those samples. Those are really classic songs as well. And this song is just telling rappers to take a chill pill and that um, Eric and Eric and Parrish don't really have time for like beefy rappers. They just want to make money, get with the girls and all that. They're just telling people to just relax pretty much. And I just love um, PMD and Eric's chemistry and how they pass the mic back and forth, similar to um, Run DMC on the song It's Tricky. And they just sound very smooth and confident on this track. They're not the best lyricists, but once again, they just have the vibes and they just have the memorable lines and memorable lines from the song. And some of my favorite lyrics is from Eric Sherman. Uh, Relax your mind, let the conscience be free and get down to the sounds like EPMD. Well, you should keep quiet while the MC rap, but if you're tired, go take a nap. That was from Eric and then from PMD. To the average MC, I'm known as the Terminator, Funky Beat Maker, New Jack Exterminator. So I just thought those are dope lines from You's Got to Chill by EPMD. So my number nine, once again, is You Got to Chill by EPMD. And I, and I got to say, before you say something, they were like the early G-Funk, because they, they were doing funk way before the West Coast was doing it. So I just want to put that out there. All right, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So they, so they kind of, so they used a lot of funk in their stuff and all that. Yeah. Like, like what kind of funk did they use? Like, <clears throat> so they used a lot of, uh, they use, uh, they use uh, seven minutes of funk, which was on their song, um, "It's My Thing." They used a lot of um, Roger, Roger and Zap, and they used a lot of like Cool in the Game and some other people I can't really name on the top of my dome. Is they had like a bit. Like the East Coast, like they had a big, bigger audience in the West Coast because just because they, um, the West Coast had like a certain sound that they were attracted to. But yeah, I think they're, um, the people, the affiliates that they had were like bigger than they were. But yeah, just to throw that out there. But they did uh, pioneer the West, the G, the G funk sound. It wasn't gangster rap, just like that, just like that Cadillac music, that the bounce music. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. 
So for my number eight is the song Dope Man by NWA. Uh, you're gonna find that I have a lot of NWA and EZE on here. <laughs> um, and it's pretty much about this guy who's obviously he, he he's a he deals crack. Um, and it's kind of commentary on the crack epidemic that was kind of going on in like you know in the eighties at the time, especially like late and mid eighties was when it was kind of in its full swing. Um, and it is and like its structure is almost is almost exactly like Dope Man, where Ice Cube has three verses and Easy E uh, has the last verse. Um, however, I feel like this structure was done better in this song because Easy was kind of introduced. Uh, it was kind of like his introduction was a bit better as he was introduced as kind of like the dope man character of the song. Um, and the reason why I really like this song is that it's it it's it's like a story. Um, I it's a very good like storytelling. It kind of shows Ice Cube's really strong storytelling ability. Um, and it's a beat where you can see the early forms of the. LA sound to develop um, is not quite fully developed. Uh, if you listen to the song, that doesn't really get fully developed until like uh, the early 90s. But in this song, you can really you can start to hear it start to develop. Um, and like I said, Easy's entrance into the song is much better than in Gangsta Gangsta, in my opinion. Um, one interesting thing that uh, at least Wikipedia says uh, is that this song samples My Posse by CIA, which is Ice Cube's original, like, which is like Ice Cube, Ice Cube's group that he was in before uh, NWA, like, back in, like, the, more like, mid-80s. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one interesting thing about the song that I didn't realize. At least Wikipedia says we'll see if that's true, but um, yeah, and this song was pretty much written by all of uh, like the NWA member of the NWA members of Arabian Prince, somebody who I don't think it acknowledged enough. Uh, Dr. Dre wrote wrote it, probably more of like wrote some more of like the beat stuff. Ice Cube wrote, wrote it, and Crazy D. Uh, a member of back when they were known as NWA uh, and the po NWA like in Posse, uh, Crazy D was actually a uh, Mexican writer, um, yeah. so which was I pretty interesting. So yeah, that's that was he pretty. Probably cool. wrote Easy's verse then. <laughs> he might have. Yeah, because we know Easy doesn't write his shit. <laughs> no, Easy -E does not write his own stuff. But I think later on he does, though. I think, yeah, later on in his career, I don't know if he starts writing 90s. full songs, but he starts getting more, uh, like, hands-on with what he's doing, like, with, like, the music he puts out. I, I don't, I'm not trying to start beef or anything, but I like Eazy-E, but I know damn well he's not, the, he's not the lyrical miracle. He's not the best rapper around. I just think he just has that charisma and those vibes. Like, there's certain people... That you know they're not the they're not the best rappers in the world, but they have like that. They have like that, like that. They just factor. have that. Yeah, they just have that. Yeah, that hit factor, that charisma, and they just kind of have that personality. Because I know Run DMC is not the best rapper, but they have the. They just kind of like certain rappers just have these vibes that you you just like. That's what I think. 
Easy E was just bigger than NWA, man. He was like that. He was a figure of NWA. He was just kind of like that. Just that dude. Like, you might not like him from a lyrical standpoint, but you got to admit that he had influence over the group. Like, the, he was like the heart and soul of NWA. Just like, he's yeah. very iconic. He, he wore those glasses, those lokes, all black with that um, security, that security jacket on. The Jerry Chrome. He was just iconic, man. He's bigger than yeah. NWA himself. I just want to put that out there. I would definitely have to agree uh, that Easy definitely creates the the life and the soul of NWA. Yeah, the image, of, you could say. Yeah, he is the image of NWA, <clears throat> and then like I would say, like Dre and Ice Cube, that while they both got plenty famous after NWA, um, you know they were kind of more. Uh, I mean, they still serve their purpose in the life of the NWA, but they're definitely more kind of in, like, the machinery of the group. Yeah. Easy E just so, out like a sore thumb, man. Because <laughs> his stature and just his presence. So what's your number eight? So my number eight is Roads to Riches by Cool G Rap. And this is the title track that comes from the same album, the same name, which came out, I want to say, 88 or 89. And this is basically a loose ad adaptation of G-Rap's life story and how he essentially went from rats to riches. And in this song, G-Rap is showing off his multi-syllabic rhyming style that he's very famous for. And some favorite lyrics of mine are, um, never took a break, never made a mistake, took time to create because there's money to make to be a billionaire. Takes hard work for years. Some nights I shed a tear while I said my prayers. Been through hard times, even worked part-time in a key food store sweeping floors for dimes. I was sort of porter, taking the next man's orders, breaking my back for, with a shack for headquarters. All my manpower for four bucks an hour. Took my time and wrote rhymes in the shower. So I just thought those were standout lyrics for me. So yeah, Roads to Riches, number eight. Uh, by Cool G Rap. No, I mean my number eight. Number eight is Roads to Riches by Cool G Rap. So yeah. All right. Uh, that's definitely that's a, that's definitely <laughs> interesting because like Cool G Rap, I feel like not a lot of people today even really recognize the name overall. Like yeah. that's just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of a a forgotten aspect of hip hop. I think. Yeah, he's your so, favorite rapper's rapper because he was he inspired he inspired Nas, Notorious B.I.G., and Jay Z, just to name a few. And that's pretty. That's a lot. That's a lot of big time influences. Exactly. And Raekwon as well, Ghostface. Oh man, that's yeah. That's definitely. That's that's some that's some, those are some heavy hitters in hip hop today that we that I think if you're a hip hop head, you know those people for sure. Exactly. So for my number seven, yeah, so for my number seven is Fight the Power uh, by Public Enemy. Um, this Wait, is one of those. Give me number eight. Yeah, Dope Man. All right, my bad. I'm tripping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for my number seven, it was Fight the Power uh, by Public Enemy. Uh, this is one of those songs that kind of 
like defines like a hip hop generation. This is definitely one of those songs. Um, even though it is uh, on the album Fear of a Black Planet, which is released in 1990, uh, this song was released in uh, 1989. <clears throat> um, and in this song, you definitely hear the like the, the it definitely fits the title uh like how they they definitely wanted to create pride in their community and i like the message that they have uh and my favorite part of the song is probably like the last verse that's like they go they go they kind of attack elvis and john wayne yeah elvis um, ain't a elvis ain't a hero to, he didn't mean shit to me or something like that yeah you know, racist fuck him and john wayne i forget i messed yeah. it up but you guys know <laughs> what i mean yeah yeah and like definitely something and, and like while researching for this i found out that like john wayne had said some like really just yeah um, some shady shit. racist stuff yeah uh, hold on let me let me see if i can find um what he said it's on genius let's see what they say um, oh it went i think it went elvis was a hero the most but he didn't mean he didn't mean shit to me straight out racist Motherfucker and John Wayne. That's what I want to say. Yeah. I'm trying to see what John Wayne said. So, John Wayne is quoted saying this. So, John, the guy that they go against. So, in a, in a May 1971 issue of Playboy magazine, mm -hmm. John Wayne said, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. <laughs> yeah, John Wayne, <laughs> clearly not a good guy. Um, definitely somebody we need to relook at uh, as to whether or not we should respect him. Because clearly he has some fucked up ideas. Um, so, yeah, I can understand why they, they, they fucking hate John Wayne. Uh, I think we all should. I think we should all just stop watching his movies because that guy is a freaking racist. <laughs> Gotta love the olden days. <laughs> Jesus, man. Yeah, I heard, yeah, I heard about that too, man. That's just crazy. And it's also from, um, what's that movie, Do the Right Thing soundtrack? I, I still need to watch that movie. It's a Spike Lee joint. So what's your number seven? Dude, honestly, my number, I changed my number seven. Actually, Fight the Power is going to be my number seven. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just leaving it at that. Fight the Power by Public Enemy for my number seven. It's a militant song. They did a, they did a 2020 re rendi rendition of it with, um, what was it? It was for BET Awards, I want to say. And it had Nas, YG, and Rhapsody. I think there was someone else, but yeah. So yeah, Fight the Power, coming in at my number seven. So yeah. That's an interesting group to have on the remix, kind of like they to have YG, Nas, and Rhapsody. Like, I could see... YG, like, it, I don't think YG like, really fits it. Like, like YG's subject matter he kind of fits. He definitely has, like, you know, he definitely has his, uh, you know, 
political his revolutionary yeah political ideas uh that uh, you know he definitely likes to express which is good um but i just don't see his style fitting yeah. um he's a little so, he's a little off place on the song i'll give him that yeah whereas like rhapsody and nas i can see them fitting in just because oh, black they thought was on it black thought was also on it that's who i forgot to mention oh okay and i I can see those two fitting on it really well, just because I know that they both have strong lyricism. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, not, I'm just, you know, YG has his place uh, in hip hop, but he doesn't have the lyricism of Nas and Rhapsody, in my opinion. And Black Thought as well. Yeah, he just, he doesn't have that lyricism of those guys. Anger. Yeah. So what's your, oh yeah, your number seven is Fast Power. <laughs> <laughs> so for my number six is Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim. Um, another classic. Definitely another classic. Uh, you know, it's, the song is essentially about rhyming and kind of going back to the basics in a way, how he kind of like, you know, like that line, how he says he misses a pen and a paper. Yeah, um, you know, going back to the basics and getting paid for, uh, you know, writing these rhymes. Um, and the thing I love about this is I love, like, as we've talked about in the past, in past episodes, is how Rakim revolutionized flow and how his unique, how his unique flow and the classic beat just go along with each other just so seamlessly. Um, is very beautiful and it's definitely not something that we are that was normal to hear especially early as early as what like 1987 yeah um and i definitely would say that this is a very this is probably uh the album's very strong and this is probably one of the strongest songs on it in my opinion it's my it's my favorite song on it um and it's just there's something about it that's just so classic and like and like it's one of those songs that's kind of timeless if you're a hip-hop head um and also i would say that pain and fall is one of those songs that if you listen to this and you get it that's when you are a true pure rap fan because you have a lot of people who say they're rap fans but they don't listen to you know eric b and rakim and respect the history that they brought you know yeah. they only listen to like if they go back to the 90s i mean Look, I love Tupac, and you know he's my second favorite rapper. But they only say, "Oh that. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." They're like, they're like, they're like Tupac. Yeah, yeah. I, like if you talk about classic, they're gonna just say Tupac and Biggie, and that's it. They're gonna end with that. And I think that there's a lot like, or they're gonna talk about N.W.A., which, like I said, I love N.W.A. and they have their place, but um, it, they have their place in hip hop history, but. Rakim and Eric B, they definitely have their own place too in uh, hip hop history too. I agree. They kind of, you got to think Rakim, because he, he pushed lyricism at a time where, like I said, I'm not trying to throw shade at Run DMC, but we all know Run DMC, like I said, aren't the best lyricists in the world. And, and uh, Run, I think one of them said that they were screwed, man. There's no way they're coming back from that because Rakim kind of cemented that. He put lyricism on the map. Their careers are kind of over it, if you think about it. 
Yeah, once I think once like like once hip hop A started <laughs> getting more lyrical with yeah people like Rakim, and then B got to, was going more towards like the public enemy NWA route. Yeah. Run DMC was just a little too like you said like they said Maybe. ABC. It's kind of like oh yeah I mean it's yeah it's just like like at that point it's like we need something fresh and you know NWA. Rock him and uh, Public Enemy at the time were creating something fresh at the time that just people were not used to and that they liked also. Yeah. And just Rock him's like first verse on it, thinking of Master Plan, because they ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket all the money spent. So I dig deeper, but still coming up with Lent. So I start my mission, leave my residence, thinking of how, I could, how could I get to that president? Jesus Christ, man. No one was rapping at that time, man. No one was rapping like that before. No, that was definitely just un, unheard of for that. Just that era. Uh, yeah. You'll hear that more now, but you know, it's just not it's not, uh, it's not it was, at that time, it was just not a commonplace in the hip-hop community. Exactly. Dude, let's not forget, this song is short as hell, man. It's just that the beat that makes it longer, that scratching at the end. But this song is like, I think, like two minutes long, like a minute, 30 seconds. And also Tupac, not Tupac, but Snoop Dogg did a, a cover, and it was called Papered Up. It came out on the um, Paid, Paid the Cost to Be the Boss album that came out in 2002. So I just want to put that out there. Because, you know, like, Snoop Dogg loves to pay homage to, like, the old school rap. Because he only does, like, a, a cover version of their songs on, on, like, every album he does. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think Rakim on this song has, like, one verse. Like, really just, yes. like, one full verse. Yeah, one verse. And I think I would have loved to have heard more. Um, just like that, that first verse, and just like that opening is so iconic. Like we, like you, like as like people like us, like we hear that and we just automatically know, like, oh, this is, like, this is gonna be good. Yeah, Rakim is definitely so, ahead of its time. Definitely. So, what's your number six? So my number six is "Rebel Without a Pause" by Public Enemy. My favorite Public Enemy song used to be Fight the Power, but I started listening to Rebel Without a Pause more. But I, I just like the bomb, the bomb Squad signature song. I just love that loud, noisy, militant instrumental combined with the Chuck D's lyricism and those like horns that make it a classic. So yeah. Definitely not a, definitely not like, uh, that's not really something that a lot of um nw not nw public enemy uh like when people think of public enemy like people mostly just think of like you know like for example like the song i just said which was fight the power and um don't believe the hype are like the most common songs to think of when you think of them but yeah um you know so it's pretty cool that you're going with another like a different kind of song that like maybe not everybody else listens to yeah and also, I want to say Public Enemy is my top in my top ten hip hop groups of all time. 
I just want to put that out there. And I guess we'll we're gonna we're gonna have an episode about that about our top. Yeah, 10 we're just gonna do top three. five, honestly. Oh yeah, yeah, top five. That's probably good. <laughs> yeah, it can be our all day if it was top ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's already hard picking top top ten songs in the 1980s, man. Because I had to go through all these albums, make a list of songs that came out what year, and try to narrow it down. It's already tough. Oh top yeah. 10 list. Especially top like, so like there was yeah, top five is easy. Top ten, you definitely gotta do some work for it, which I'm fine doing that. It's just I, I have fun doing like researching for this. So uh, like it was always funny because like I was like, there's a couple songs that I was looking for that I was like, I was gonna put this on the list, and then I find out they're released like in 1990. I'm like, damn, that's so close, yeah. but that gets I can't too. put it on. Yeah. Cause I, I thought honestly I thought public I thought uh, fight the power came out in 1990 I was gonna put that down on my 1990 episode and I looked and it was like yo it came out in 1989 that's that's crazy but the fear the fear of the black planet came out in 1990 that kind of confused me because some of the songs overlap because let's say you have an album that comes out in 1990 you're gonna have songs from 1989 and 1990. Yeah, like cause like that that yeah like like that. Album, like you said, that album was released in 1990. That's yeah. like singles released in 1989. So like when you're making a list like this, you gotta take that into consideration. Exactly. That's why we had the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so for my number five is kind of a song that people don't really mention a lot in the Straight Up Compton album, which is uh, "I Ain't the One," by, which is by N.W.A. But it's only Ice Cube rapping um is definitely a very different change of pace from the straight out of compton album uh as a whole um it's pretty much ice cube complaining about how a lot of the the woman he gets into relationships with uh try to take uh, advantage of his you know really good financial situation he's in uh making a lot of money um it's almost it's almost just like it's almost satirical how much he just hates this. <laughs> like it's just like uh it's just like he just complains about it so much about this whole song. Um and like in this song there's like some like girls talking that kind of represent the the woman that Ice Cube was talking about. Um I wouldn't say that the sound of the song is the best, but just the content is just kind of, it's hilarious to what he's talking about and just how he's delivering it. Um, you don't really get like satire like that <clears throat> as much in hip hop anymore. Um, at least not as well done as it is in this song. So this is probably one of those songs on like when I first heard this song, I probably didn't like it too much, but I've grown to like it. Um, and I just think it's one of those songs that just kind of gets overlooked by some of the other songs on the, on the Straight Out Compton album. I still need I need to re-listen to Straight Out of Compton album because it's been like three or four years since I listened to it. And also want to throw it out. I, I forgot to mention this, but. For me, straight out of Compton would be like kind of the rough trap of gangster rap. Like it was gangster rap, but they had that East Coast sound. They didn't make their own sound until I get, like you said, in the early '90s. Yeah. 
like when it was in the early 80s, no, the late 80s, mid 80s, it was more of like that. Like the subject matter is gangster rap, but it didn't have that G-Funk sound yet. It was still trying to bite that East Coast sound that was very popular at the time. Much mm-hmm. that would definitely, I, I agree. Like if you hear uh, Six in the Morning by Ice-T, that, that has the East Coast sound to it, but it's gangster rap. So it just mm-hmm. it goes to show you how far they progressed. They kind of found, they picked the, they found their own sound and they just stuck to that formula. Definitely, definitely. I, I definitely agree. So what's your what's your number five? <clears throat> so my number five is Set It Off by Big Daddy Kane. It's my favorite BDK song. And it and it comes, it's a no, and it's a first song on uh, Long Live the Kane. And I just love that 45 King produced sample. And some trivia behind the song was that it was originally given to Biz Markie. But Bismarcky didn't want it, so he gave it to uh, BDK because they're part of, I want to say, Bismarcky was also part of the Juice Crew. They were like the same crew. So, yeah, and then uh, uh, Big Daddy Kane asked the dude to, um, like, kind of speed up the sample of it because it was slower. And so that's how the song came together. And, it, and, uh, and uh, Big, Big Daddy Kane in an interview said that this was actually his favorite song. So I just love this song because it's a braggadocio song and he snaps on, he snaps with his high, his high speed rapping, his lyricism, and just the energy that he brings that makes it a classic song. Just that sample, that type of sound. That's what I love. He raps super fast on here too. Not like Buster Ryan's fast, but he, rap, he doubles the speed of how he usually raps because he's known for being like, very smooth and laid back, but he just snaps on this man. All right, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy King is another, you know, kind of like this. He's almost kind of he's like he's like a legend in hip hop that, you know, is very heavily influential on, uh, you know, like you. Said, he's one of those guys that, like you said earlier, he's one of those guys that's like he's your rapper's favorite. Yeah, here, here's the thing that uh, here's the thing about Big Daddy King. He kind of went down the LL Cool J train where he he had like a, he had two good albums and then he just went downhill because he tried to go way too commercial. He was a ladies man, so he he obviously went towards the R and B route, which people weren't really digging. And that's what he kind of mirrors LL Cool J's career. He never really made a comeback. At least uh, LL Cool J did make a comeback, but he's just not really, you know, he, he's just not as good as he used to be. He just tried to go too commercial, tried to appeal to the ladies and stuff. And both Big Daddy Kane and LL Cool J made, like, the corniest love rap songs ever, man. So just to go to show you. <laughs> when you have, like, a certain image, man you kind of get cocky and you start going towards like a certain crowd. You don't stay towards your like cemented crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's sometimes it's a case where people like like rappers tend to maybe overstay their welcome a little bit. Like maybe yeah. like, Hey, maybe you should have taken uh, a different role in hip hop at this point in your career. Just, yeah. Maybe you should have become more of a mentor instead of 
you know, trying to go towards the lady. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should maybe. I mean, hey, you know, but of course, I'm also welcoming people to uh, at least other artists to, um, you know, explore different outlets of their music. But, you know, sometimes, but understand that not everybody's going to like changes that you make to your sound. Yeah. If you make changes, make sure it's a dope change. I don't mind <laughs> as long as it sounds cool. If it's super corny and is coming off as trying to be very fake and trying to get validation from, like mainstream appeal, I'm not gonna really be down with that. Neither are yeah. any, like real friends either. And that's yeah, why I think I think hip hop needs less of like yes men. What I mean by yes men is just people that you have in like your corner that just say everything you do is good. You gotta have people that criticize, not like not like talk down to you, but kind of be like, yo, you should work on this. You should you shouldn't go down this route. You know, just have people. Those are the real people in your life, you know. Other than those, like yes men that just say everything, everything you do is good. That's what I think. Rappers have just people that tell them all that you do. They can just they think they can just get away with everything, and they have that ego. The ego becomes like a problem. Definitely, I would definitely, definitely agree with that for sure. So, what's your number four? So my number four is Easy Does It by Easy E. Um, so at this point, so early in Easy E's, like very early, like not even like he's not even done with the whole Easy Does It album. Does he start getting more comfortable with rapping? So by this point, once he, by the time he's recording Easy Does It, this is like he's more comfortable with rapping, um, and. In this song, he's kind of gone down like the NWA route, which is pretty much the whole entire Easy Does It album. The whole like Easy Does It album and uh, Straight Outta Compton have very similar sounds. Uh, it's just that one is just Easy E, and the other one is Easy with NWA. Um, and I like the beat in this song really. I like. I think the beat in the song is really strong, um, and this song definitely uses a lot of like the sim like in like the Straight Outta Compton album you hear like certain sound effects throughout it and this song kind of uh, displays some of those sound effects that we commonly hear associated with NWA so this song kind of kind of started that a little bit so yeah that's so my number four is Easy Does It by Easy. That's an underrated song. Yeah definitely. Wait, isn't it the song that he says he's just a dog from the round the way take it easy? Is that the song? Uh, I don't think no, I don't, I don't think that this is that song. Um, I forgot what song. I may have not even heard that song, but I, this is, I don't think that this is that song. Wait, let me look it up. Easy E. Um, he's just a dog round the way. Yeah, it was easy, does it? Yeah. See, that, I love Dang. that song. I like the intro. He's like, shut the fuck up, bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah. That shit was funny, man. Dang, yeah, I said this like is my point. top five favorite 80s songs, and I don't even know the whole lyrics to it. That's a little embarrassing. It's all good, man. 
Because sometimes <laughs> when you listen to music, you just zone out, man. You're not really paying yeah. attention to the lyricism. Once you actually get to do album reviews, like what we do now, you have to actually pay attention to it. Yeah. You have to, you have to listen through the skits. You have to do all that, man. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good song, too. Easy, yep. Yeah, so my number, we're at number four, right? Yeah, we're at number four. Okay, so my number four is The Bridge is Over by Boogie Down Productions. This is going to be a controversial opinion, but I'm known to have controversial opinions. But this is by far my favorite diss track of all time. It's simple. And it's just a diss track towards the Juice Crew and MC Shan. And I just love that menacing beat, that sharp drum kick, and that classic piano melody. And my favorite lyrics from the song is, Manhattan keeps on making it, Brooklyn keeps on taking it, Bronx keeps on creating it. And Queens keeps on faking it. And that that's the best verse. That's probably one of the best verses in um KRS's KRS one's career, man. He just like basically summed it up. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's the that's the song. That song is pretty much like that's like a beef. That's kind of accentuates the beef between like the Bronx and Queens. Yeah. And hip hop Queens at the time. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I just like the diss track because, you know, like some diss tracks, they kind of sound childish in a way or they they get off topic and stuff. They just try dissing too much people. But this one just stays short to the point. I think it's pretty short. I want to say, it's, don't quote me on this, but I want to say it's two to three minutes long. I just love this song, man. Definitely has some replay value to it. And that beat is very memorable. And those lyrics that I said are very memorable man it's been that people said that all the people said those lyrics all the time and it just goes to show you yeah. the influence the song has most definitely that yeah that song definitely has a lot of influence and i like it's definitely one of those really early disc packs it's not like the disc packs have not really been you know set, that's popular. not like yeah is it not been popularized yet um but this is kind of like one of those like early hip hop beefs that have kind of uh, you know resulted in diss tracks like this. Yeah, diss tracks. I think they became more popular in like the mid '90s. So around that whole Tupac and Biggie beef, that's when they started emerging. I mean, they emerged. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I shouldn't say they started emerging. I mean, they emerged way before them, but they just started getting more steam and became more popular. Yeah, it definitely got more popularized, like you said, with that East Coast, West Coast beef. That's where it just really just, that's when, like, the the, the disc tracks really just took off after that. Yeah. All right, so for my number three is another Easy e classic, is Boys in the Hood <laughs> by Easy e um, What is this, all NWA members? <laughs> <laughs> And this song is basically, this song basically influences a whole damn movie uh, named after it, Boys in the Hood. Um, I, I don't want to say it influences it, but it's, you know, it's obviously influential enough to have a whole movie, you know, titled after this. Um, and 
and pretty much it's a whole story. It's like this whole ass like story about like Easy E starts off like waking up in the day, going to Compton, um, and like seeing people like gang signs and just you know just kind of like the stuff that he would see in Compton at the time, um, and like the violence in the area that they saw. It was like this whole entire album, people want to say they glorified violence, but it's more so commentary, in my opinion, um, of of what life was like for them. Um, and the the most insane part is the 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 just is the uh is the courtroom shooting um you know where Susie comes in with a submachine gun uzi submachine uzi yeah that that's definitely the craziest part of this whole song um and it's just a classic that i think every everybody who knows rap knows this song. You have to agree with you. Just those opening lines, man. Mm-hmm. Running down the street with my 6'4", jocking the freaks, clocking the dough. And he also, this song was actually inspired by um, Six in the Morning by Ice-T. I just want to put that out there. This yeah, is, I'm not, yeah, I'm not surprised. And also, Ice-T wrote those lyrics for him. Not sure. Yeah, Ice Cube pretty much. And also, one thing about this song is that Easy E, when he first started off rapping, you know, he wasn't like he like, you know, we all know he's not he doesn't write his own stuff, but he wasn't the the top guy um, <laughs> at rapping yet. And so they had to like essentially record this whole entire album. Uh, like not this whole entire album, the whole this whole entire song line by line. So like Easy E would say like a couple lines, and then they'd stop, and then like Easy would say another line, another few lines, and then they stop, and then they would edit the song so that way it all plays in like a continuous fashion. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, so that's one thing that's kind of interesting about this song is that it's not all. He's, this is not Easy E all in one take. This is like several, uh, like like cries and just going line by line, kind of painfully getting through the song. Damn, this song is long too. Six yeah. So it, 21 seconds, man. Jeez. Yeah, it probably took almost all night to record this. Yeah. I think this is on the NWA and the Posse album, right? Um, I believe this is on Easy Does It. I swear, if I get this wrong, I'm going to get this. Yeah, see, it was, man. Hold on. NWA it's also, the <laughs> it's oh, also on, it's Easy also Does on it. Easy Does It. It's on yeah, both. Yeah, so two albums. All right, good. I didn't get two things wrong in one day. Dude, I, could, I would not be able to live with myself if I did. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just want to say that this song... Is influential, man. Everyone knows the song. Even the fake gangsters that play that shit. <laughs> yeah, I know it kind of has a cringe culture behind it, but I do appreciate it. And this is—you can see like the East Coast influence for the song because it doesn't have that typical West Coast sound. I mean, subject matter it does, but sound-wise, it does not. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is a classic song. 
like, you know, West Coast sound is definitely in its infancy at this time. It's not... It's a baby. It's, yeah, it's a baby at this time. It's not developed enough to have its own, like, signature sound that you know this is West Coast. Yeah. Um, so what's I'll your number three? So my number three is I Ain't No Joke by Eric B. and Rakim. This, this is like one of the best ways to start off a hip-hop album. And this is one of the best songs in the 1980s. No surprise there. Excuse me. Um, this is a classic Brad Doshel song. And Rod just basically flexes his lyrical muscles on this track. I just love the cadence and how so much hip-hop quotables on here. I just love the minimalistic breakbeat. He's rapping over him, the horn scratching and the drums as well that make a classic song. My favorite lyrics are write a rhyme and graffiti in. Every show you see me in, deep concentration because I'm no comedian. So everyone knows that song. This, this is probably my favorite Rock Him song, to be honest, since it's this high. And I, didn't, I don't think I really put a Rock No, I did put a Rock Him song in my top 10 hip-hop albums of the 90s. But yeah. But the 90s, it's really hard because the 90s like dope for music in the 80s but I might have a little bias there but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah my number three is I Ain't No Joke by Eric B and Rakim off the classic um Paid in Full album yeah yeah I remember when I bought the Paid in Full album and I put it in the CD player and yeah this is the first song and I just remember hearing this song and I'm like you automatically just get into the vibe of this yeah you automatically get into the vibe of this album very early on with this song so um this song is definitely good at capturing uh you know the attention of the listener yeah so for my second favorite song of the 1980s is Fuck the Police by NWA. <laughs> um, this no was, this yeah, this song needs absolutely no introduction. Like you said, uh, it's this was another one of those just generation defining songs that just everybody and uh, like you would say, everybody and their mom knows the song. Yeah. Um, whether or not even if you like rap music, you know this song. Um, whatever you, you feel about the subject matter of this song, you know this song. Uh, but I guess I'll, 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 go, I'll go over it again. Um, uh, one thing that I think it's way overlooked by people when it comes to this song is they just kind of see it as just kind of like, oh, this is such a... It's a rebellious song, and it is a rebellious song, and they just they only see it as kind of like I don't know more of a like a I guess more I don't know how to put this like a cultural statement versus say a more of a political statement. They were definitely they were talking about the police brutality that uh, that the black community experiences uh, back then and definitely and still and and today. Um, is still a strong problem that still needs to be addressed. Um, so I do believe that this song gets very commonly misunderstood uh, by a lot of people. Um, and 
Yes, it's one of those songs that everybody knows, but I don't think I th- like I don't think a lot of people are actually know of the song, but I don't think that they truly want to understand why the song was made and kind of like the 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 issues that brought about the song that I think we still need to talk about today about the issues of police brutality and stuff like that. Um, so I, I believe that this song, not only is it a, a good song to listen to, but it's also a song that uh, that just reflects uh, the issues that America has uh, with policing and how we need to address uh, and create changes within police culture and how the police act, in, especially in the Black community. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a very influential song. Like you said, it's very overlooked. Like people just think it's a rebellious song. People just play it to be cool and edgy, but they don't really sit back and actually listen to their um, lyrics. I, I think I think people have a problem with NWA. It's because they weren't like as, um, I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't think they, they probably thought, people saw them as kind of thugs in a way, just gangsters trying to start like ruckus, but because uh, Public Enemy took more of like a more intellectual, educated route, and uh, NWA was more like in your face. And I definitely think, I'm not sure which album came first, but I, I feel like they did have some Public Enemy influence. I may be wrong, but just like that subject matter. I mean, I mean, Public Enemy would never say fuck the police. <laughs> they probably worded a lot <laughs> differently. It's just that um, NWA is more like in your face, very blunt with their music, and they were like more angrier. Mm-hmm. So obviously the song's gonna be more controversial, just because they didn't word it in like such a cookie cutter, kind of um, in a sweet way, if that makes sense. They, they were not gonna code it. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they're not gonna try to make this song. You know, this is not a song that's gonna make. I guess they they were not gonna do this to make the system feel comfortable. Yeah, um, which I, I like. That's part of the reason why I like the song is that you listen to the song and you know, and you you really need to uh, like not like you, but like people really need to understand that this is a song of that's talking about a political issue and people kind of they 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 I don't know they I just feel like they kind of they just don't understand what t- the the message is and I think that this is one of the songs that just gets really misunderstood it gets played a lot but just because it's played a lot does not mean people are really truly listening to the uh political statement that these guys are trying to make um so uh, this song is just one of those songs that i think it's overlooked for its uh you know for for uh you know the activism that's trying to burn people and so i think that's definitely one of the things that people that I, that I love about this song and that I think other people need to start understanding that this is a song that's trying to bring awareness to an issue that at the time and today still gets very commonly overlooked so I think that this song definitely needs need some people to definitely come to realize that this song is very important and that we need to learn from what they're trying to say yeah and i also want to just say give something brief and try to build on what you said i think most people 
just like the controversial nature, like I said, it was just because NWA is basically saying incite violence against the police. And I don't think people are really a fan of that. In a, in a certain perspective, that makes sense because they say violence just brings more violence. And it's just more, they took more of a Malcolm X approach than a Martin Luther King Jr. approach. And I think that's what a public enemy would have took. Because I don't think public enemy would ever say, go kill a cop and stuff like that. But NWC, the opposite. Like, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, if that makes sense. They just took different approaches to their um, lyricism and how they dealt with issues. Yeah. And, you know, in my opinion, there's no, like, neither way is wrong. I, I agree with both ways. There's a place for both. Uh, there, there is a need for both of these, uh, you know, messages to be said. Yeah. It just all depends on, I guess, how you word it in a certain way and just, you know, it all depends, man. Mm-hmm. It all depends what, what happens when this song plays and, just like the nature of it, you know. Personally, yeah. I enjoy the song. I like the song. <laughs> it's not my, yeah, I, I not like my favorite song. song. It's not my favorite NWA. No, I should. That is one of probably, probably my favorite NWA song. But you know, Gangsta Gangsta is not. But this is more of like a politically charged song. Yeah. The cemented uh, NWA made them a, the most dangerous group in in America <laughs> and most controversial as well. Just about how they, how they brought like social issues and how they thought the only was handle it was to incite violence and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, my number. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I don't think that. I'm just real quickly. I'm just gonna say I don't think NWA wanted to incite violence in any way. I just think that they were just kind of, just talking about it. Yeah, Yeah. it's very. You know, this is also a subject that. I think that they that and a lot of people like my, and myself, they want this issue to be addressed, and you know they. I, I shouldn't say people... inside violence. I I should say probably not turn the other cheek. Is what I should have said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably like a better way to. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Or like so go on, go on. Eye for the eye kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, we're on. Let me see. So my number two is you gave your number two right. Yeah. All right, so my number two is Colors by Ice-T, man. This is probably by far my favorite Ice-T song, man. And I just love, I know I know people aren't, aren't a big fan of Ice-T. I know he's not the world's best rapper, but I just like the vibes and, like, commentary that it brings. Like, he, I think he said, I think he famously said, gangster rap isn't called, it's called reality rap in a way. Because just painting the pictures of people in the, in the, like, uh, in the ghetto and stuff like that, just their background, just painting a picture of what their environment is like. Not necessarily saying, oh, it's good to be a gangster, but just like bringing awareness to it. Just just like not ignoring it, just saying, yo, this, always, this, is, this is what happens here. Just like the good and bad of the gangster, of being a gangster. So this is like nonetheless Ice-T's strongest lyrical performance and it was from a song from the, the soundtrack of the same name, which is Colors. I still need to watch that movie. I think it came out the same year. It might have came out earlier or later. I don't know. But this is um, from, like, out the get-go, Ice-T just has your attention with the 
he he just starts off the song perfectly and i'll get to that later but this i heard this song for the first time in the movie hancock it was when hancock was in prison i was like what the hell is this beat dude i was like holy shit i just love the cold lyricism the dark and sinister beat and just him talk it's basically just him talking about gangs so my favorite lyrics i'm gonna start it off I'm a nightmare walking, psychopath talking, king of the jungle, just a gangster stalking, living life like a firecracker, quick as my fuse, vendettas of death back, the colors I choose, red, red or blue, cause, cause or blood, it just don't matter, suck or die for your life, when my shotgun scatters, the gangs of the LA will never, never die, just multiply. I just thought that was a very strong message, man. I'm just painting the background of LA, man. And yeah, that's my number two, Colors by Ice-T, man. What more can I say? So, I, I've listened to, I, I mean, I've watched the movie Colors. Very good movie. I definitely recommend people to watch it. Um, and this song, and I agree that this song is also super good. I love this song. Um, I, I almost put it in my top ten. Um, it's super good. Um, and yeah, I would definitely recommend people watch Colors. It's definitely, it's probably like one of those like very early like hood movies. It's not one of the newest ones. Like it's before Boys in the Hood, Demands to Society. It's, <laughs> I think it's before those because those ones came out in the 90s, whereas yeah. Colors came out in the 80s. Um, and so, yeah, I still, yeah, you should definitely watch Colors. Let me see. Let me see if it's on anything. Let me see if it's on like Netflix or anything like that. All right. So the the beat was produced by Africa, Islam, and Ice T. I just want to put that out there. Uh, if you have Hulu, you can watch it. Oh hell yeah! I'm watching. I might watch it tonight. I don't know. And so, should we get into our number ones? Oh, Don Cheeto's in here. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah there's, there's, David Wayne's. There's a there's a lot of uh, influential. There's a lot of big actors like Sean Penn is in it. Um, yeah, Sean Penn, Tony Todd is the dude that played Candyman. For those who don't know, um, Mario Lopez is in this. Um, oh, that was the dude from Saved by the Bell, right? I believe so. Uh, this is the only Mario Lopez thing I've ever seen. Is yeah, say <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. such a tonal shift. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check out the movie. Yeah, and put it down. But yeah, if you want to get to your number one, we can go from there. So for my number one is another NWA song. It's the classic. What a surprise! They had a Compton song. Um, another one of those songs that really doesn't need an introduction. Everybody knows it. Um, you know, it's just, it gives a vivid description of Compton in a way that people never heard before. People at this time, people did not really, if you did not live in LA or Southern California, you kind of, or even if you just lived in the suburbs in LA or somewhere else. You had no idea what Compton was. You had no idea what it was like. And this is like just people's first look into what 
life was like in a city like Compton. Um, and I, and so it definitely incited different reactions from people. Um, uh, in my opinion, it's a very good song. It's a very strong song. Um, and they're just, like I said, they're just giving their, their own vivid description of what life in Compton is like. Uh, I guess one fact that I do find kind of funny is that Ice Cube is technically from South Central LA and not Compton. And he's on a song called Straight Outta Compton, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but nonetheless, I still, I still love Ice Cube's verse in it. Um, but I would probably say MC Ren's verse is so overlooked, and he's kind of overlooked in the group of NWA as a whole. So yeah, that, so my number one is Straight Outta Compton by NWA. He's underrated too, MC Ren. Mm-hmm. But I think this Ice Ice Cube's how he started off the song. Straight out of Straight Out of Compton, crazy motherfucker named Ice Cube. We called the niggas the attitude. That's how you start off a song. I mean a song. I mean a song. <laughs> <laughs> start off a song. <laughs> song. <laughs> Came out of nowhere. Yeah. This is how you know the song is influential when a lot of people parody the song. That's how you know it's a good song or a bad song, but this is definitely a good song in this case. I mean, like, how many people do you see, like, create their own shirts for, like, you know, like, straight out of... Oh, my know, like, yes. Like, like, they're like yeah, they're like, like, they have, like, shirts that are, like, like, straight out of Philadelphia or, like, straight out of Brooklyn or something like that, like... How many shirts have you seen of that? It's just there's a million versions of uh, you know, straight out of somewhere. Yeah, look at this. This is a music video straight out of Hogwarts, straight out of Gotham. And there's another one. I mean, there's so straight, many, man. Uh, Killers with Attitude, which is a straight out of Compton parody with... Um, Mike Myers, Freddy Cougar, Jason, Pennywise, and uh, Ghostface. Not Ghostface Killer, but Ghostface from the movie screen. Yeah, this has been just parodied so many times and just put on shirts. And it's, this is one of those things that just took off. You can, you can see the, like I said, I'm not trying to bash them, but you can see the East Coast influence. I just want to put that Yeah, I would, I would agree. But this is a still a dope-ass song, classic. Didn't make my list, but that doesn't mean it's not a bad song. I mean, a bad song, but yeah. But yeah. So we're going to get to my number one. This is by far one of the influential songs. Sorry, Kern, but my number... My number one is The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. This is by far one of the first conscious hip-hop songs and the most one of the most influential quoted hip-hop songs of all time, man. We'll get to the lyrics later on, a little bit later. But this is way ahead of this, way ahead of their, this is way ahead of, like, the time of hip-hop, man. This song came out in 1982, so the same year where hip-hop was starting to develop. And it took giant steps. And it took a lot of people to 
kind of catch catch on to the conscious hip hop song genre in a way. I mean, there Run DMC did have a conscious hip hop song. It was called Hard Times. I just want to put that out there. But this definitely did make a mark on the hip hop hip hop genre in general because people were doing party rhymes at the time. They were just talking about real shit. And this beat is very memorable, and it's been used countless of times. And I, it was used in a Ice Cube "Check Yourself" remix, and "Can't Nobody Hold Me Down" by Puff Daddy and the Family, just to name a few. And it's very social. It's a social commentary, social commentary track, and it's talking about dangers of living in an urban environment and what happens, man. Just let's get to the lyrics. So, broken glass everywhere, people pissing on the stairs. You know they just don't care. A child is born with no state of mind blind to the ways of mankind it's such a it's just a jungle sometimes it makes me wonder how i keep from going under and also their most famous line on here don't push me because i'm close to the edge i'm just trying not to i'm trying not to lose my head and people use that line all the time man this is definitely one of my favorite hip-hop songs of all time taking into consideration all the years and all the decades this is probably up there I just love this song so much. It's long, this, but it's yeah. a really good song. It had my attention. I like the music video too. I mean, this they're, they're kind of like, my bad, but uh, I just want to point, like in the music video, they kind of dress corny because it is 1980s. So they kind of dress like- Early Michael 1980s Jackson. too. Yeah. <laughs> like Michael Jackson. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But... No, it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's your song, so- like this is this is like not like this is like you know I'm talking about NWA where like the West Coast sound was kind of in its infancy. This is when rap is like in its infancy. Like I don't think like when this song was released, I'm not sure if you know everybody in the United States knew what rap was in 1980. I, I mean, hey, I might be wrong, but I don't think that rap was just really mainstream. I think like this is one of those songs that kind of pushed it a little bit towards the mainstream, which kind of allowed Run DMC to kind of do their thing. But this is like like that. It's kind of like that, like one of those first few sparks of hip hop that just kind of made it, helped kind of make it expand a little bit. Yeah, I know. I'm also reading some interesting information on Wikipedia. So I just want to put that out there that, um. This inspired groups like Public Enemy and KRS-One. And Melly Mel said in an interview with the NPR, our group like Flash and the Furious Five, we didn't actually want to do the message because we were used to doing party raps and boasting how good we are and all that. And yeah, I just thought that was very interesting, man. That they didn't even want to do that song. I'm so glad they did, man. Because it's definitely an influential song. If we didn't have that, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, conscious rap would have developed, but it would have, I don't think we would have had like Public Enemy or KS ones in those likes. I mean, they probably would have sounded a lot different. But yeah. Yeah, just like, uh, I mean, Grandmaster Flash and the Fierce Five, that, this is a group that developed from, you know, the very beginnings of hip-hop i mean they these are people this is these are the people who started when you know hip-hop was just literally 
parties and just dancing to break beats. Like these are like this is back when it was literally just block parties in the Bronx. Um, it's just, and if you want, and like I, if you like this kind of music, I would recommend to people that they should watch the Get Down on Netflix. Um, it kind of it has Grandmaster Flash in it a little bit. Um, and it just kind of talks about the early beginnings of hip hop, and this is, and so Grandmaster Flash comes from like that gener, like that, like first generation of hip hop. Yeah, I need to check out the Get Down. I, I think it was directed by Nas, right? I don't know. I know Nas had a lot of influence on it, but yeah. I it's not. I don't know if it was directed by Nas, but I know Nas it was a heavy um, influence. It was narrated by Nas. Like Nas is like the like the narrator. He he kind of plays like the older version of the main character. Yeah, I think the show got canceled because of the budgetary reasons. It was like too Yeah, it was a super expensive um like thing to make uh, a series to make and like at like I don't know like I mean, Netflix was plenty popular because this was this was like in 2016, 2017. Yeah. But it just it wasn't. I mean, it was very popular back then, but it's it wasn't. It's now it's just. I think um, it's not almost strange. Everybody <laughs> in the United States has. Uh, <laughs> everybody in the United States has Netflix. I think almost not everybody. Almost like a lot of people have Netflix now. I'm getting rid of cable, cable TV now. I mean, I, I barely have cable. My cable has like eight channels, but I have Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and trust yeah, me, Netflix cable. is plenty. I, Netflix is a lot, so. This yeah, is not an ad sure. for Netflix, by the way. They're, we are not sponsored by Netflix. <laughs> this video is brought to, brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> the description, Jam Planner for Life, you're going to save 10, 10% off your Netflix description. <laughs> Just as uh, this is just so that way people understand this is not not real. <laughs> this is all fake. We we do not we do not uh, we do not uh, we are not spon actually sponsored by no. This is just a joke. <laughs> but yeah, just to go back to the message real quick, I just want to list some facts on it. So this song is written in 1980 by Duke Booty and the Melly Mel in its response to the transit the transit strike that year and it's also mentioned in the song's lyrics and then the accolades so this was the number one track of the year of for 1982 by nme and rolling stone also ranked this song as number one no number 51 in the list of their uh 500 greatest songs of all time and this is also voted number three in about.com's top 100 rap songs and then in 2002, its first year of archival, it was one of the 50 recordings chosen by the Library of Congress to be added to the National Recording Registry. And also the first hip hop rec recording ever to receive this honor. And also this song was now ranked number five on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of Hip Hop. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. So yeah, you have any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, I'd probably say some closing thoughts. Uh, I guess like I guess I could do a quick 
like hot take that we've been doing this season that I could ask both of us for our quick closing thoughts. Yeah, go for it. So I guess I would, my hot take is that so the lyrics of the 1980s, they were not the strongest. Um, rap was kind of in its you know early earliest early days. Um, 80s was kind of like the first decade where it was introduced as a mainstream form of music. Um, and so, but at the time, the lyrics are just not as strong as they were today or back in the 90s and 2000s. Um, so what, like, what are your th thoughts on like how, you know, lyrics have developed and stuff like that? That's a good question. I think it's a, it's a very slow, progressive, um, I guess, a very slow, progressive kind of start to lyricism. I think Grandmaster Flash and um, Melly Mel had some part in doing it before Nas, not Nas, but um, Rakim did it. But I think Rakim gets a lot more credit just from like a rhyming standpoint, if that makes sense. He just like stood out more, but it definitely was a slower process because they were still in that child, that infant phase, like you said a lot. And I just think it took a lot, it just took time. It just took different revolutionary paths, just different influences, people that just came out the blue. And I, I'm not, I wasn't born in the 1980s. I was born in 2001, but I feel it was a lot, it wasn't as popular, like the lyrical standpoint, rap wasn't as popular it didn't latch on as well, but just later down the road, it, it was like a slow progression because people were trying to transition out that phase. And the hip hop, as you know, is a very divided, divided community because you got people that like old music and new music better. It just all depends. But going going on tangent a little bit, yeah, I think that had something to do with it. It's just that how it took a lot longer until like the late, no, the late to mid eight, no, mid to late eighties to kind of figure out the direction of hip hop wanted to go. Cause there's more of like people rapping ABC and just party rhymes, but it was a very slow progression. And I, I just think it's a very di divided community, just like, it's one of the most divided communities. Cause I think rock, people can agree and respect your artists, but hip hop is very divided community. So yeah, I just think, yeah, I just think the 80s is under, overlooked because of this, because people aren't really a fan of that type of rapping. Yeah, I just want, yeah, pretty much it. How about you? What do you think? Uh, I definitely think you really hit the nail on the head there uh, with what you're saying. Uh, like you said, I like how you said that the hip-hop community is very divided and how you kind of talked about that. I think that, that was a very strong point to... Um, and we all know from hip-hop, like rap fans, they don't like change that much. <laughs> and I would definitely agree. Like if you were born in, you know, the 70s, your favorite artists are going to be Public Enemy, uh, you know, Tupac and Biggie. You know, you're not going to be wowed by some newer artists um like you said that, that, that's definitely more to your point um 
Yeah, I just overall, I think you definitely really, you definitely got. I think you definitely got all the points correct um, on this. Um, I guess like one thing that I would say um, is how I think one thing that I think is kind of uh, is that technology, I guess, has kind of changed over time, so beats have changed. Uh, I don't know, maybe that has a connection, maybe, like, uh, like faster beats have made people kind of, you know, because, like, flow, I think, also uh, has a big impact on what you say and how you write your rhymes, because, like, Rakim clearly has, like, multiple words that rhyme within the same bar, Whereas you don't find that um, in earlier stuff and earlier hip hop, so I just think, uh, like you said, you know, with people like Rakim, I think that the development of flow um, probably pushed the boundaries more for lyricism, which I think is kind of uh, seconding what you said. So yeah, that's and my also, final and also thought. Also, to build on what you said is that. I was reading this book. I forget what it's called. I'll, I'll probably put it in the link in the description. I, I haven't finished the book, but it, it was just talked about the about like different rappers, like who is the king and all that. But besides the point that they're talking about, hip hop started rhyming started when people were just doing shout like shout responses and stuff. They'll be like, "Put your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care." They'll just be like, "Yo." Ronnie, your mom needs to pick you up or some shit. Something like that. It just developed over time. People were just, it was more just like fucking around and just like having fun on the mic. It wasn't very taken seriously until Rock Him and just like Melly Mel came along. Those are kind of like the nails in the coffin that just put hip hop on the map, made it more conscious. Because if you look at the other stuff, it doesn't really hold today. Like, how do, how do I word this? Like, I, I think rappers are rapping. Modern day rappers are kind of rapping like the 80s rappers. It's just that they, they weren't like really, they didn't, they're not using the ABC rap, but they're not really trying with the lyricism. It's more of like beat heavy and all that. If that makes sense. Like some of these rappers are very, most of the rappers nowadays are kind of ass in my opinion. Because just like, there's no, there's no care to the lyricism. And that's what I think the 80s rappers were. They were just kind of getting that pay, going paycheck to paycheck. And also the technology, because those, those, those machines were expensive, bro. You had to know a person that had that machine or you had to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so probably, it sounds probably not going to be that good because it's very minimalistic. But just like when time goes on, people find different ways. Like the scratch was created on accident. Cause I think a dude was like in, in his mom's basement or his mom's room. He accidentally made a scratch and he just liked it. He just went from that. So it was like trial and error. Like people made mistakes and the mistakes just stuck. And then people built off of that. People copied each other. And then people were like, I don't like the way you're doing it. So I'm gonna do this a little bit different. And then people just left it there. And then if the public, or the not the public, but if the, the audience is like that, they just went 
just kept that and they just went from there. And then people started imitating the copying. So it was all like a growth process. All right, so I, th I think I got my, my final points out. How about you, do you have any more, anything else to say? No, nah, that's pretty much it. All right, so I'm guessing you wanna do the outro? Yeah. So that concludes our top 10 hip hop songs of 1980s. This is once again, season two, episode three, top 10 hip hop songs of 1980s. And then next time when you see us, we're gonna be doing season two, episode four. And we were going to look back at Master Ace again, and we're going to do his, I want to say, sequel album. Well, actually, it's confusing because Disposable Arts came out before A Long Hot Summer, but Long Hot Summer is a prequel, and then uh, Disposable Arts is a sequel. But nonetheless, we're going to be reviewing that album. You're going to hear our thoughts on it, what we think, top five songs, current hot take, buy or burn. Just a breakdown. We're not going to do history this time because we already talked about them. So we're just going to go. So don't be surprised if you don't see the history. But yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll see y'all next time. Peace out. Uh,